What's up, potheads? Welcome to the Restricted section, in which nerds with potty mouths reread our favorite series and talk about how its legacy has stuck with us into adulthood. Today is part one of our movie comparison bonus episode! There's a lot to unpack here, and we definitely don't want to subject you to a three-hour episode, so be sure to come back for the second half of this conversation. This movie review is the first in a series of four super fun bonus episodes before we get into the Chamber of Secrets. Also, I wish we didn't even have to bring this up, but as the British say, needs must. We want to make it very clear that we in no way condone J.K. Rowling's recent transphobic tweets, nor do we condone any of her transphobic tweets ever. Maybe some people just shouldn't tweet. If it upsets you to see your hero speaking this way, please know that we're with you. We're also hurt and upset by her persistent and flippant disregard for the trans community. Like everything else, we want to talk this out. Stay tuned for an upcoming bonus episode that will address this. Now on a happier note. Oh, and while I have you here, I've mentioned before that we love reviews. God, we just, we love them so much. We got a great review earlier this month from Luralac2 on Apple Podcasts. It goes a little something like this. Found this podcast by listening to That's What I'm Talking About. It's amazing. By the way, Hagrid can totally operate. I love that this is an adult podcast and that you call your listeners podheads. I laugh out loud in the literal sense every time I listen. Please keep it up. Well, Podhead, we hear you, and we will indeed keep it up. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us, and maybe we'll read your review on the podcast. Okay, great. Well, let's get started. So we finished the Sorcerer's Stone book last week. That was very exciting. Especially when coronavirus started, I thought we would never, ever see the end of this book, but we did. And it's the shortest one, so we have a long way left to go. Luckily, we're having a great time. Today, we're going to talk about the movie, the Sorcerer's Stone movie, which um, I didn't have an end for that sentence. We're just going to kind of talk about, you know, what the movie did differently from the book and how, how that made it better or worse, which I think maybe probably both it made it better and worse in different ways. Um, that's my thesis at the beginning of this. <laughs> we'll see where it takes us. Let's go around the circle and do roll call. And also just tell me which of the Harry Potter films is your favorite. So I'm your host, Christina. And my favorite film has always been The Goblet of Fire because it, it, that's where it starts to get a little adult and funny and really action-packed in a consistent way rather than like culminating toward this like end-of-year craziness that the first three books follow that pattern i'm grace the goblet of fire is also my favorite film but runner up i would say i'm gonna cheat and say film seven parts one and two (laughs) because your answer is three movies (laughs) (laughs) because you know the fact that they split it into two movies it just gave me all of the um you know harry potter nest that i've always yearned for in one movie kind of into but it's going to count as my answer okay that's fair that's fair hi uh i'm andrew and for a very long time my favorite book and movie was the third one um 
I just, I, I love how artistic and crazy and different it is than all the other ones, especially after the first two. But recently, I have to say, Order of the Phoenix has become my favorite because it is hard to beat just super emo Harry. Like, it just, it warms my soul to see how cold his heart is that entire movie. And it's just, it's a train wreck. It's a, it's a train wreck of a story and a movie. And it just, it's awesome, but it's so crazy. Describing that film as a delightful train wreck, I think is actually spot on. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Cool. So let's get into it. This is the first episode in which we are not going to talk about drinks because it's not interesting that I'm always drinking wine. Andrew's always drinking a Bud Light. You're always drinking tequila. Listen. I'm not drinking tequila this time. <laughs> what are you drinking? Oh, my God. Um, I'm drinking an Earl Grey dark lager. Oh, my I God. That sounds it. amazing. It's from Ardent. Shout out to Ardent. Oh, yeah. Look. I love Ardent. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, we're not doing drinks, but thank you right. for sure. <laughs> if we're ever able to incorporate signature cocktails back in, then we'll get back into the drink sharing. It starts at the beginning. So it starts with the theme music, which it gives me the exact same feeling as reading Mr. and Mrs. Disley of number four, Private Drive. It's just like, it's like when the roller coaster starts, you know, you're just like, oh my God, here we go. Yes. The, the theme music is so good. What do you guys think? It's like one of my favorite parts about it. Like, I just love it so much. It's one of the few bits of music outside of my favorite bands. It's one of the few bits of music that I can hear just like three notes and instantly know what it is. Not only instantly know what it is, but instantly want to listen to it. Like I hear that, and it's like, where is it? (laughs) It it just, I love it. It's so iconic. The Harry Potter movies really made me realize for the first time how important a movie score is like it's what makes these movies to me or at least one of the main things uh, that makes these movies to me what they are yeah and just a fun fact you know so the composer of these films was john williams who i think is arguably the most legendary film composer ever he's done everything and last night sean and i watched Jaws. Sean had never seen Jaws before, and it's one of my favorite movies. And that is also John Williams. And that is some real different music. But damn, that movie would have been so different without that music. You know, he really has a way of like capturing a whole mood, you know. And this song that he wrote, so cheerful to open the Sorcerer's Stone film with that it's able to carry us through the next seven films, you know. The tone can change, and it just gives me goosebumps. I was going to say the heebie-jeebies. That's not right. (laughs) Unlike the book, we totally skip Vernon, right? We don't get to go to work with him. We don't get to have this whole experience with him, probably because it would have been really boring, and the kids would have lost interest immediately. We start with Dumbledore. Dumbledore's the first thing we see in the movies, and that's such a strong move because he's such an integral, 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 important which one is it it's integral integral he's such he's such an integral character so starting with him definitely makes a statement you can definitely say that if you were to describe the way that dumbledore dresses 
it seems formal, but it's about as loud as a formal outfit can be. Like it's almost like Elton Johnny vibes where it seems like, I guess that, yeah, I guess that's a, like a formal professional outfit. <laughs> now it has rhinestones and it's incredible colors. And I, I was going to say drag queen. <laughs> Business casual drag queen. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But like bedazzled. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So at no point do we get the muggle perspective. We go right into the wizard perspective, which I think is really cool. And um, right away, Dumbledore starts using his deluminator. So it's, it establishes the magic right away. Like within the first like couple of seconds, it's like, this is magic and he's doing it. One thing I, I think it's kind of interesting about doing it the way they do, and really about, uh, I guess this really applies to the book as well, is that the first instance of magic that you see is one that doesn't really fall into any of what, at least at that point in my life, I would have considered the traditional types of magic. Like, you know, you got like fireballs and elemental stuff that's kind of one branch of magic. Then you got what Harry Potter does end up mostly being, which is, you know, wands and things like that. But a little device that you pull out and click and it makes street lights go out. It's just so unique. And it's something that I had never, never encountered before, anything even close to that, especially at a young age. And I think it's really cool. That's the first magic that you see is something totally different than you're going to get for pretty much the whole rest of the book. And that kind of says something about Dumbledore too, about how he's like, not your average wizard, you know? Yeah. Something that I was thinking about, uh, you know, how they started it, and we don't get Vernon's perspective and stuff. I agree with you that, you know, that's not really right for the movie. But we, because we don't get that, we also don't get like the wizarding world celebration. Um, so we don't really know necessarily right away about this kind of backstory element that's happening. And of course, Grace, what you're really leading to is that we don't get Daedalus Diggle. Oh, that is just exactly very what I was disappointing. Yeah. I know we were Daedalus. all waiting for him. Yeah, no, you're completely right. R.I.P. Daedalus. <laughs> so many minor characters, so many really good minor characters just didn't make the cut into the films. And like, that's so sad, but like, you know, obviously you got to do it. Mm-hmm. So next we meet a cat and she, sh- she transforms from a cat to a human. So that's like right off the bat, it is, it's two different kinds of magic you see right away that are t- completely unusual for the magic world. And I think it's just, I think it's their hook, you know, they're trying to really get you. And we're also immediately uh, with just the first two characters, you realize this is going to be one of the most ridiculously talent packed movies I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Literally. I'm pretty sure every actor that isn't one of the children is a classical Shakespearean actor and like a well lauded classical Shakespearean actor. Definitely when I was a kid, my dad had a fascination with the films that I didn't really understand. And I think that part of that was that he was like, what the fuck is Alan Rickman doing here? Like, what's Maggie Smith doing here? Who invited, like, what is this book series? (laughs) Yeah. Something else that I just wanted to make a quick note about McGonagall, her introduction from transforming from a cat into the professor is they, in the movie, they only show the shadow transforming and you know that that was to avoid some really serious like anamorph cover level computer graphic terror 
We do kind of get it though, right? When they get to class later or whatever mm-hmm. and she changes. Well, well yes, it, you're right. <laughs> actually, Christina, you bring up a really good point because one of the things that's unique with this first movie is none of the magic that you see in it is really special effects driven. I mean, the most special effects thing that you will see magic wise is going to either be the deluminator or uh, broomsticks. Everything is pretty much just very practical effects, which is interesting. Like everything was arranged in such a way that at least with this first movie, they didn't have to do much CGI, which is good because at that point, CGI was not great. The classroom cat thing aside, which I think happens quickly enough that they were able to make it work. The main place that I noticed CGI, we'll get to it when we get to it, but it was during the Quidditch match and that was not good. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We'll get to it. (laughs) So then they're chatting. Hagrid arrives right after Dumbledore says, I would trust Hagrid with my life, which like that's rich considering all that he does wrong in this book (laughs) slash movie. But Hagrid rolls up with like a t- <laughs> I was really paying attention to the sounds in this movie in a way that I've never done before. And he rolls up with like a like a sound effect of a like a biplane from like a fifties film, you know? <laughs> like crashing. Yes. Like a Vietnam war film. Like a crashing plane. Like I'm glad we turned out all the lights because that's the only thing that people will notice, you know. And- <laughs> Who cares about how much noise we're making? <laughs> sure, the engine's backfiring, and sure, it's just echoing throughout the entire countryside, but we got the lights on. Listen, it's dark, okay? It's so dark out here. <laughs> People are just going to look out the windows and think, huh, oh, another wild motorcycle. When will they learn and just close the shades and <laughs> go back to bed? Oh, so, so, and then Hagrid's like weeping and he has the baby and Dumbledore is so nice. This is the nice actor, Richard Harris. He's so gentle and nice to Hagrid. I love him. Yeah. For some reason, and maybe it's because of the seventh book, I always envisioned Harry being in a sidecar on the motorcycle. And I don't know why, but it seems like that would have been a much better option than just like just, you know, hanging them in one arm with a little sash thing. A baby Bjorn? Baby sash. It's a baby that's Bjorn. The, yeah, that, that's the thing. That's the thing. I don't know. Maybe, like, just flying thousands of feet in the air, you shouldn't. It's going to be cold. Like, give him some right. blankets. Put him in the sidecar. Andrew, Swad- I can't him. I'm hearing this from you. You're Hagrid's biggest fan. <laughs> you can do no wrong. So, they leave the baby on the stoop, and then we go into... The epic title treatment. I don't know if that's what it's called in movies, but that's what you call it in books. And the big logo comes crashing into the sh- into the scene. I don't know any movie terms I'm realizing right now. <laughs> right this second. And then it'd be like, if I sing any more than that, we're going to get in trouble with Warner Brothers. It's true. <laughs> and then you just... You just, you're right, like, you're done. You can't leave now. Like, the movie started. This is the title sequence. Like, mm. it's so good. Do you all remember seeing this in theaters? I don't. Yes, I do. Oh, I should have started with that. Thank you, Andrew. Tell us. Tell us everything, Chris. Well, basically, I was in a theater, and I watched the movie, and it was awesome. Yeah. Good story. (laughs) I assume that's how my experience went. It's probably pretty relatable. 
Andrew, do you remember? I remember going with my mom. My mom's always been a big reader. And so she read the books just to kind of figure out what the hell was brainwashing me so much. Then she got brainwashed too. She, she's a fan. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my mom took, took me too because she also read the same thing to see like what the fuss was about. And then she learned what the fuss was about. Oh, she learned. This could be a false memory, but I seem to remember my mom going with me and seeing it, me wanting to see it again, and her convincing my dad to take <laughs> me because she kept referencing how good the acting was and how strong the cast was. and all, Like, not at all saying anything like, you should enjoy this because he enjoys it. Just like, no, no, it's worth it. I promise. The story's there. Like, it's as an adult, this is a good film. Yeah, like, it's actually legitimately good. And I don't know if she actually feels that way, but that's, like, definitely the way she presented it to him. <laughs> definitely, like, a fair note to make to another adult about a kid's movie. And the star-studded adult cast definitely makes up for the incredibly inexperienced ch- 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 children cast. <laughs> Man, there's a couple scenes in this movie where their yeah. acting is just so bad. They really grow into themselves by the last... By the time people start dying, they're ready for those scenes, you know, but like, we'll get to them. It's not yet. Harry's just a baby. He can't have failed us yet. (laughs) Well, one thing uh, that is interesting, though, is in the movie, you see the letter that Dumbledore puts on Harry, which completely gives away certain other elements of the plot. Because, for example, Harry doesn't know who gave him the uh, uh, invisibility cloak, but you've seen that handwriting. So it, uh, there are certain things that like having, and then later with the uh, letters from no one, you recognize that, at least I know I recognize that handwriting. Um, wow. Yeah, that didn't even occur to me that they, that the letters from no one had the same handwriting. And what that tells me is there was one cool girl on the props team for this movie with great penmanship. And they were like, you're Dumbledore now, write everything. After the epic title treatment, you get really, really hyped. So you're really hyped for this movie about magic and wizards to begin, but then it like cuts to Ampetunia rapping on Harry's covered under the stairs to wake him up. Just like a quick note, I was really thinking about it with Vernon and Petunia, but really most of the adults in this film are just so well cast. You mentioned that they're all incredibly famous actors before this film. I think pretty much almost all of them. I, I can name at least a couple movies that all these adult actors are in. And that's saying something because I'm not really a film buff. But um, Petunia, so well cast. Just such a bitch. So good at it. Yeah. I, I forget what the gentleman's name is, but the guy who plays Uncle Vernon, uh, is, I think he's done a few movies, but he's mainly a, a uh, theater actor. He's yeah. a huge theater actor, like been knighted and everything. Cause, I mean, there's... Just the list of the people who were knighted, it's ridiculous. Because I'm pretty sure original Dumbledore, McGonagall, Uncle Vernon, and I'm pretty sure uh, John Cleese, technically, uh, I think got a knight- knighted as well. Like all of these people that just have ridiculous bona fides. John Cleese is nearly headless Nick, right? Yeah. It's funny that he's like a knight playing a knight. That's pretty rare these days, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. These kids didn't have much choice but to become better actors because they were literally surrounded by the best of the best. Really? Like the best internship ever. Nailed People it. Learn you something. So it's Dudley's birthday, and I, there's just a lot of, you know, you know, we talk all the time in the translation from book to film that so many things just have to get flattened. Conflicts get flattened so they're not nuanced anymore. 
there's just one thing, you know, characters get flattened. So she's just smart. He's just a joke. You know what I mean? And right away, the whole Piers thing, um, Dudley's friend Piers from the books and the whole Mrs. Fig breaking her leg, can't watch Harry anymore. Like, should he come to the zoo? That whole thing never happened. So you really don't get the full picture of abuse that happens in the books because you're like, oh, he gets to go to the zoo. He's probably been a bunch of other places if they're just taking him to the zoo all willy-nilly. He just goes. Like, that was just always part of the plan is that he got to go. Yeah, I think that's kind of, like, I've seen the movie more recently than I had reread the book. So um, we've talked a lot about how the movies um, kind of replaced some of those elements of the book in our minds. Yeah. But um, I definitely forgot about the level of child abuse that's in the, that's in the book. Yeah. The movies had to make it palatable for a general audience. Well, and I think a lot of it too might just be for time. I know that to us, there's a big scene seeing all that stuff and seeing just how bad it is for Harry. But I think if you're coming at this from a non-fan side, if you're just coming at this from a get it done, make a movie side, then you can sum up Harry's got a shitty life with just having the scene where he's thrown into the cupboard. That's all you need. That instantly says it's shit. You don't need to like say it's shit. And then it's this bad. And then it's this bad. You don't really need that. So instead it's much more efficient to just cut it out and just do it really quick like that. I agree that it's more efficient, but I mean, you definitely lose some stuff. I'm going to open another beer all fast. Um, I brought three beers in, in a lunch, in an insulated lunchbox. <laughs> I didn't want them to get warm. What a pro. <laughs> la la la, living it up. Cha 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 cha. Uh, okay, great. Yeah, and then like just other little things. Oh, what was I going to say? <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, other little things are lost along with these, like, all the things. Like, for example, in the book, when Mrs. Fig broke her leg, can't watch Harry, they're trying to figure out if he should come or not. Even just, like, the way they talk about him in front of him is, like, really, really paints all these shades of exactly their relationship that you don't really get in the film. It's just like, they're bad and it sucks. And it's like, okay, if that's all you take away from it, you're not wrong. They did. I did notice one thing uh, in just a little bit when he's talking to the snake. One thing that he says that kind of gives away a little bit more that side of abuse, uh, if you're really paying attention, is the way that he talks to the snake. Because the very first thing he says when he realizes that the snake can understand him is something along the lines of like, oh, well, you must talk to people all day long. Like, it instantly shows, he thinks, just because I can do this, obviously anyone can do it. it I'm not special, I'm not, you know, if anyone else talks to a snake, you're gonna be like, holy shit, I'm talking to a snake. Poor Harry's got such a fucked up sense of self-worth that he's like, I'm talking to a snake, just like I'm sure everyone else does. Yeah, I think that when Harry is talking to the snake, that's the first mention of his parents that we get from him in the movie. What does he say? I think when he's talking to the snake, he says something about um, being an orphan. Either. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it says bred in captivity or whatever. Right. Yeah, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's me too. I don't know my parents. I was bred in captivity. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, it is like a little tent for just a split second. It's a little tender moment for Harry, his first friend. 
That's the other thing that we super don't get in the movies is like how much he's bullied at school and stuff. And like really just all these ways his life is shitty that the movie kind of glosses. It's not like, it's not like at any point they're being like, maybe there was some good or like, you know, (laughs) but it's like all these things are just lost. You know, it's just like everything was shitty and it's like, okay, cool. Everything was shitty. And like, you can just say that, but like, man, the different ways in which everything was so fucking shitty for this kid. So it's funny you say that. Uh, my grandmother tried to read Harry Potter. Mm. And I say tried because after about four months of her saying that she was reading it, I asked her, I said, Grandma, where are you in Harry Potter? And she like kind of danced around the question a little bit. And finally she goes, Andrew, I just can't read it. They just treat that poor Harry so bad. Mm. It makes me so sad. I'm like, Grandma, it gets better. <laughs> it's not all like that but she just she, hard could, to get she past. refused to repass that she's like it's so sad was Aww. she cool the movies then is she on board with those oh she loved the movies okay great just random fun fact my grandma never read these because she doesn't like fantasy books and she can't this is what like o- deep old timey racism looks like <laughs> I don't even know if this is racism but like my grandma can't hear accents hmm she, like, cannot, which includes dialects of American English, right? She, like, can't, like, watching, like, Pirates of the Caribbean just pisses her off so much. She has no idea what's going on. She can't hear accents. So, like, Harry Potter, she she gets this look on her face that's just, like, uh. Oh, man. So, my question is, Harry's walking through the reptile house. I don't know. Are none of the other snakes talking it might be that their reptile house is mainly an alligator centric reptile house <laughs> this is the only snake they, they, they had a few uh giant monitor lizards and it, it was kind of like french and portuguese like they kind of get the gist of what the other one is saying but it's not the same mm. so it was just a bunch of monitor lizards he was picking up before just just like whispers of like i'm hungry and he's like those must be zoo patrons so the glass disappears and Dudley falls in, which that's like a classic example of the films just trying to make like bump up the action, you know? Yeah. Because that deeply doesn't happen in the books. Well, because the books have time to kind of create action in a different way. You know, it's like everybody's freaking out and then there's like the, the reptile house guy brings them to his office for tea or whatever. So like the, it just takes a different path. But in this one, Dudley falls in and then the glass comes back, which is so good. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely am a fan of that change. Oh yeah. And then like, just like the look on his face and then the way that Amphitunia starts screaming, like, it's just so good. It's so good. (laughs) oh my god I love it so much and then Harry's just on the ground laughing which like same (laughs) so then we go back home where Harry's in trouble and then the next thing that happens in the in the greater plot is the letters start coming right right when Harry right when Harry's just getting off being in trouble for the fucking reptile house thing the letters start coming And it's just, like, amazing. Like, the way that they filmed that kind of montage 
the chaos of the letters. You you like you almost feel like the letters have a mind of their own, you know, trying to like really get in there. Well, how amazing is it that Dudley is such a little shit that he feels the need to tattle on Harry having a piece of mail? Like of all the things to be like, Mom, Dad, it's Mom, Dad, postage. Like, what the hell? Well, in his defense, it does look weird. And also, it is the only, I think, the first time Harry's ever gotten mail in his life. Mm-hmm. Probably. So he, D- 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 Dudley's probably just like, what the fuck? Uh, also, he's just like a bored, idle child who needs more better hobbies than breaking toys. <laughs> yeah. I definitely think that this, uh, the letter sequence is condensed. Obviously, all of the film is condensed version of the book, but um, I still thought it was really effective. Like, mainly the part where um, all of the letters come, you know, through the through the chimney and like everything's shaking, and that's awesome. That's straight out of the book. So I almost feel it's more effective how fast they had to do it in the films because in the books it's a little bit of a slow build, which works for the books because then there's Vernon's whole breakdown in the car and stuff that really needs to take its time to really affect you. But I think in the films, the way that they just like slight, like little chaos just immediately becomes this great chaos. Like I I think it's really well done. This is one of those things that I've just read online and I don't know how true it is, but I read that the props department for the Harry Potter film this Harry Potter film handcrafted like a thousand letters and then learned that they were too heavy for the owls to carry and then had to like do it again. (laughs) But also like you only, I guess you don't need like a thousand letters for the owls to carry. You really only need like five. So maybe that's a lie. I'm just spreading rumors over here. (laughs) All these tiny details of making films you don't have to think about. Like, is this too heavy for an owl to carry? I didn't know I'd need an owl guy for this movie. Yeah. So when the letters are coming through the chimney out the fireplace, I, I've always hated how Harry for a second just like dances in them. He like, I know your hand-eye coordination is not that bad. He literally is just like, like last person still rolling at the end of a rave. Just like, whoa. There are so many letters on the floor. Like grab you some extra as you're trying to leave. Like, I don't understand why he's intent on catching one. It's like, that's not the most important thing here. Yeah. Stuff one in the back of your fucking pants, dude. Like, you, you really have no one to blame there. but yourself. You have yeah. no one to blame but yourself. You could have put shit <laughs> all over the place. No. Mm-mm. He's not smart yet. After the Harry letter dance, woo, they cut straight to the hut on the rock. So we totally lose Vernon's whole breakdown, which like they do a good job of conveying that he's unhinged in the film. They have him like pulling out his mustache and like hammering closed the mail slot and stuff. But in the books, there's several pages of him just driving. Mm-hmm. And, like that shit is scary. That's scarier than a three headed dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They really spoon feed it to you in the movie because Dudley goes, Dad's gone mad, hasn't he? That was my really good British accent. No, you did a great job. And then all the kids are like, oh my God, he has gone mad. What the? They're like, he's (laughs) right. He's totally right. (laughs) So, So the tension doesn't really build in the same way, but obviously, considering where they are on a hut on a rock in the sea, you know that things are not fucking okay. (laughs) 
Oh, poor little birthday Harry, all by himself, drawing his little cake in the dust. <laughs> Which, can we just talk about that? Because <laughs> that is the most ridiculously over-the-top pathetic scene. Like the like most orphan only, scene I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, you're, you're in a house, and the house has furnishings. There are modern beds and couches, but still a dirt floor. Like what? What? What the fuck? I don't. I don't understand the house. Like just of all. Like you're in the house and you're gonna lie on the floor in the what has to be the dirtiest section of the floor and draw yourself a dirt cake. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. Yeah, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. It's like so what eleven year old? What eleven year old knows how to throw a pity party that well? That's adult levels. Like all woe is me. That, oh, God. That's like me. All my friends ditched me on my birthday. I'm drunk as fuck, sitting in a gutter, weeping, drawing a birthday cake in the dirt. That's never happened to me. My friends would never ditch me. Then there's a knock, knock, knock. But like, but like, wait, it's like the bassiest sound you've ever heard in your life. Boom, boom, boom. There's just no need to be that loud <laughs> like maybe i get that there's a storm outside but like he's really trying to scare the shit out of them <laughs> when the door falls down it's interesting if you notice like the door was a shitty door to begin with it, there were clear openings around the door he knocks it down and somehow when he knocks it down the sound of like ambient storm noises increases like 50 fold it's way <laughs> it proportionately it does not match up to the amount that we were hearing from that shitty door before to after it falls. It just, it seems crazy. Yeah. And then you also get the Hagrid music. Like the music really just plays such a part. I think maybe because the intended audience of this first film was so young. Um, and because the director was really paying a lot of attention to this kind of thing, but the music just really helps you guide you so much emotionally. So Hagrid's music is like, burn, 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 right. It's like, Fucking like giant music. Well, and that, that's actually something that uh, John Williams is known for is most of the time he gives individual characters their own like theme. Like each each character that has like independent screen time generally has some sort of melody that goes along with them in his movies. Yeah, you um, can definitely see that in Star Wars. Yeah. For Jaws sure. is another big one that shows that too. So Hagrid comes, blah, 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 cake and stuff. In the movie, Hagrid misspells the words on the cake, but in the book, he doesn't. And I think that is a disservice to him. Like, there's no reason he shouldn't know how to spell things. That's true. Maybe the movie Hagrid is dyslexic or something. I think there's a reason behind it. I think the reason that they, they tend to play Hagrid is more, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, kind of like an imbecile. Yeah. Um, like a lovable imbecile. But the reason they do that is because it makes it later on when he does fuck up. It's not like, uh, Oh God, like how can you do this? It's like a, Oh Hagrid. And I think it's also meant to drive home like the seriousness of how Dumbledore of like the relationship that they have. Cause here's this guy that comes off as such a freaking like, Oh, and Dumbledore is like, no, no, I trust him with my life. Also, random fun fact, for those of you who don't know, Andrew's birthday was last week. 
by the time this comes out, it will be last week. And Brooke got him a cake that said the world went to shit and now you're 30. Um, and they spelled your wrong and it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so most of the rest of this scene is pretty similar to the books. Um, I noticed that in the books, Hagrid, I mean, eventually Hagrid gets angry. That's like part of this initial scene. But in the book, he gets mad when he learns that Harry doesn't know about magic. That's what makes him mad. But in the film, it's not until they start talking shit about, like, Dumbledore and stuff. Yeah. And then he gets real mad. So it just, it's like, it just says two different things about his character, right? Like, the book says that he's, like, a representative of the school who cares about Harry, who's there taking responsibility for him. And, like, whereas in the film he gets mad when they start talking shit about Dumbledore and all that really says is that he's like loyal. Well, I think, Mm -hmm. I think the reasoning behind it once again is if they're coding Hagrid to be kind of an idiot, if he says this stuff to Harry later about like fluffy and what, and you know, all the different tests and stuff and anything that he says, it's going to be like, well, he's an idiot. But the fact that we know that he has such strong feelings about Dumbledore and Dumbledore trusts him with his life. We can believe what he says because Dumbledore we think would tell him the truth. I gotcha. I gotcha. And then my last note for this scene is um, like, bear with me on this, but I found Hagrid's pink umbrella to be much more menacing in real life than it was in the book. Mm -hmm. Like in the book, it's like, LOL, pink umbrella. Like the words pink umbrella are funny maybe, but like in the movie, you're like, he could shank somebody with that. Yeah, I mean, he actually threatens Vernon with it, and you're like, oh, shit, that's, that's real. That's not your ordinary pink umbrella. hmm But I think it's kind of menacing, too, how they, they didn't, like, scale it up to his size. So here's this giant, and it's like any time that someone is wielding something that is not a typical weapon and is way smaller than some, a normal weapon would be, and they're doing it with that level of confidence, it gives you that, like, they know something I don't know type vibe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So then all that shit gets resolved. I'm not really summarizing every detail of the plot because y'all should have been listening to the whole rest of the season by now and know exactly what's going on. They go straight to D- Diagon Alley. I, it's, I wrote DA. I literally almost said Dumbledore's army. <laughs> they go straight to <laughs> Diagon Alley with no train ride, which like that's only one sentence in the books, but I love the idea of Hagrid on the Muggle Underground in London. Like that's just the funniest shit to me. Um, mm-hmm. so they get straight to dump to, <laughs> to Diagon Alley. Um, I noticed in the Leaky Cauldron, Tom the barman is like a really nice grandpa in this one. But I think by the time we get to the third movie, when Harry's staying there, he's an actual gremlin. Yeah. He's like just this side of troll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He like can't even talk. And I'm like, how can you run an inn? Well, in, uh, a big thing too that's missing here is uh, throughout this whole scene, we don't see Daedalus Diggle. <laughs> RIP Daedalus Diggle. So we, the thing happens in the Lake yeah. Cauldron. Everyone shushes, everybody looks at him and then he starts getting introduced to people and he gets introduced to Quirrell. And I think this is an important detail. Quirrell is already wearing his turban. Yes. Yeah. In the book, we made a great point of noting that he is not wearing his turban in the Leaky Cauldron because he has not yet made the giant 
Gringotts robbery mistake and Voldemort mm-hmm. has not yet decided he needs to keep a closer eye on him. Yeah. Not only is Quirrell wearing his turban, but he also declines to shake Harry's hand. Oh my God. I didn't notice that detail. So he like doesn't want to touch him, which <gasps> makes me think that he knows something about something, but whatever. He doesn't apparently know that at the end. If that yeah. was intentional from the writers, that's a great detail. Because, I mean, yeah, it, it makes sense. Yeah, but like Grace said, later on, though, in the movie, he has the line, what magic is this? When his shit yeah. starts going dusty. Well, <laughs> it may be that Voldemort is like, you may not want to touch that Potter boy. I have a feeling there's some weird love magic going on here. And then Coral's like, sounds weird, but okay. And then later he's like, oh my God, <laughs> this is not what I imagined. That's true. You should have been more sense. direct. <laughs> <laughs> Does not know the full extent. Nor do any of us, it, really. What is I love magic? it would hurt just a little bit. <laughs> my God, this is irreparable. I'm going to die. <laughs> And he does, which we decided in the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they go into the back little corridor, yes. the backyard, and they do this brick tappy thing. And that's like something else that you read it in the book and you're like, oh, okay, cool. He tapped a brick. But like seeing it in real life, you're like, wait a goddamn second. Well, There's a lot of logical actually, fallacies here. Well, and I'm pretty sure this is another way area that they differed from the book. Because I'm pretty sure in the book, it's like just one brick. It's like the brick two up and three over whatever from the trash can. It's just the one brick that he taps. Mm-hmm. In this one, it's a series. And fun fact, if you have a DVD uh, of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, if you go to the uh, bonus screen, the background is the wall from uh, the Leaky Cauldron. And if you click on those bricks in the right order, it opens up extra features. <gasps> I definitely do have that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, same. Well, we're all Harry Potter fans here. <laughs> but my question, and, and this is the kind of thing where, like, faced with the reality of tapping some bricks, I, I think about it in a way that I didn't just reading about it in the book. But, like, how did they tell people how to get through that? And, like, what happens if you lose the combination? What if you, like, don't remember how to get through? Will Tom tell you? I think... I think this is one of the areas where we see the difference between things that JK Rowling either had an answer for and never got around to talking about and what the filmmakers decided to do. What I mean by that is I think that at some point JK Rowling probably meant to talk about how muggle-born people or children get contacted by someone from Hogwarts. I think she intended to talk about this because we know that she was involved with the making of the film and the fact that she allowed them to do this even more complicated thing. And later on, no one has any trouble finding nine and three quarters. I think she was going to talk at some point about the process of like Hermione learning that she was a witch and then it got cut out. We have but talked kind of, about like muggle-born onboarding about how you probably need to send mm-hmm. someone to like escort these muggle-born children like to diagonally and stuff. And then again, as they're walking into Diagon Alley, music, right? The music totally changes. It's really, it gets really Christmassy, which like the whole, all the music in this film is like really Christmassy, but it, it you guys know exactly what song I'm talking about with like, and like the jingle bells. Yeah. It gets like so happy and cheerful. 
and it's it's like we're happy to be here. This is a safe place. Eleven year old viewers, like come along with us to the yeah. Well, there's like all of the background music in this movie has a definite like element of whimsy. Even when it gets like kind of scary, it's still like a scary whimsy. Like, ooh, what's going on? You know, delightful. It, it yeah, it all has this like brand new experience and just innocence about it throughout the whole movie, which is one of the things I love about it. Yeah, totally. The music definitely does that. And then I also love that scene where you're going into Diagon Alley and you see all of the, you know, buildings. They're all kind of like weird shapes and like weird parts of the buildings are jutting out and odd angles and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, right away, A, that this place is different and B that it seems to be like literally held together by magic yeah which is like one of my favorite things yes have you guys been to Harry Potter world in Orlando yes no. and like and well Andrew a little spoiler alert for you when you walk into Diagon Alley first of all it's not marked you're walking through Universal Studios and, and the Harry Potter world is not marked at all you get kind of lost looking for it because it's down a fucking brick alleyway and then when it oh, wow. opens you're and then it, like so you you're like am I walking into a bathroom and then it's like the almost the exact same kind of feeling where it just like suddenly opens up into Diagon Alley and then you shit yourself from happiness and you start weeping and like and it's the same kind they manage to make it really kooky and like almost as if it's held together by magic it's just it's just so delightful the whole notion of Diagon Alley universally i think in the books and the films in orlando studios is that it's just really like snugly like it's a safe space you know <laughs> and the mu the music agrees so first they go to gringotts in which we learn harry potter has so much fucking gold that's another thing where it's like in the book it's like yeah he has a lot of gold but then you see it and you're like that's a lot of gold yeah. Did, uh, did anyone notice Hagrid's slightly racist moment here? About whomst? He, uh, he was talking about the goblins, and he he's like, uh, he says something like clever beasts or something like that. Oh. But it is clearly later defined that they are just magical, like, basically humans. Yeah, they're sentient. Yeah. Wow. Intelligent, magical beings. And he's like... Clever beast goblins. But like at the same time, I feel like Hagrid might refer to refer to humans as beasts. Like he's just that kind of guy. Well, I think That's what true. prompts it is when Harry says, "What are those things?" Mm, and then yeah. that's how he answers. I'm like, damn. And Harry's just being an idiot. Yeah, he's like, I mean, he's like, is that a Halloween decoration? <laughs> um. Okay. So then the next the next they go to the vault. 713. I love the way that this scene happens because it's kind of magical if you think about it. Hagrid goes, I need to talk about the you know what in Vault You Know Which. Okay. Now, dude. if this is really a super secretive, like amazingly high level mission, does every fucking teller at Gringotts know about this thing? How many people are in on the you know what in Vault You Know Which that the random teller they happen to get to? Is like, oh, yeah, I know exactly that you're talking about 713, and apparently I know what's in it as well. Hmm, maybe it's just, like, the goblins have, like, a code, like a, like a money code. Um, but you're right, he's being way too loud about it, for sure. Um, 
like I have a secret, I have a secret. But they get to the vault and <laughs> there's a spotlight inside the vault on the package. <laughs> which makes no fucking sense. <laughs> I, Sean, Sean kept took, asking me like what the sources of light were in like every scene. He was like, "Where's that light coming from?" He's like, "I thought they couldn't have electricity. Shouldn't that be torchlight?" And I'm like, "Yes, it should well, be, Sean, but that's not realistic for a film." Sean's forgetting that, as Haley always reminds us, the number one thing that's most important to wizards is the sense of the dramatic. But Wait, I I'm did gonna, write. I'm note. gonna say it like Haley says it. It's all about the drama. I can't. My voice doesn't sound like hers. <laughs> uh, I did. I did write a note to myself. What's in there, Hagrid? A plot device, Harry. Can't tell you about it. Very secret. <laughs> That's spot on. Yeah. With a spotlight. So, <laughs> and then they go to Ollivander's next, um, which, like, again, perfectly cast. The setting is exactly as it's described in the books. Really, just like shabby and like eerie in like a silent kind of way mm-hmm. um yeah harry causes a lot of destruction which it, again is one of those things that's harder to watch than it is to read just like exploding shit left and right so you know olivander you he's got to be really good at cleaning spells oh yeah because just chaos that's just one kid you know there's like there's like Okay, there's like 40 new students at Hogwarts alone every year who need a wand. And then when he finally gets the the right wand, <laughs> it is the most dramatic thing in the world. The lighting changes, the music changes, wind starts blowing in his face like it's the most dramatic thing I've ever seen. They do that at Harry Potter World too. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. <laughs> Oh, chooses the wizard, Miss Grace. <laughs> and then we also totally skip Madame Malkins and meeting Draco, which I love. That's just like another example of the way that like these shades of meaning are eliminated is when Draco encounters Harry later, you can like there you can almost tell that he's embarrassed that he didn't realize it was Harry the first time they met, and he's trying to like make up for it, like come be my friend. But that's totally gone now. We don't meet meet Draco at all. And so when in the book, when Harry's telling Hagrid, I'm worried about my performance, like I'm worried I'm I'm not going to know anything. It's because of Draco just like barreling through and being like, oh, no, 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 all these things. I'll kill myself if I'm in Hufflepuff, blah, 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 blah. We have a good time here, Draco. And you weren't invited anyway. (laughs) So just all of that is lost. We don't get to meet him at all. And um, we go right to, well, Hedwig, oh wait, Hagrid picks up Hedwig for Harry, whereas in the book, Harry gets to pick Hedwig. That's nuts. Never pick a pet for someone. They need to pick that for sure. Just like never pick a significant other for someone. They got to live with that thing. You don't have to. You got to make sure they like each other. (laughs) So he really lucked out with Hedwig. He's lucky that worked out. Like, what if Harry didn't want an owl? That's a lot for someone who just found out they had magic 12 hours ago. Happy birthday, Harry. Here's some responsibility for you. <laughs> really? Really? I'm going That's... to give you an owl so you can write letters to all the people that aren't going to write letters back to you. 
that's a thing you're not supposed to give someone a gift they have to take care of like a like a pet or well I always give people plants because it's my greatest joy to grow plants and people always act like it's the biggest burden like <laughs> I give my brother a housewarming plant and he was like oh no and then Hagrid and Harry are talking and Hagrid is kind of telling Harry about like Voldemort and his parents and we have to watch it happen yeah flashback scene flashback scene which so I mean basically we get to see Harry's parents before he ever does yeah and you know I like it definitely helps to create drama drama but I, I almost feel like we haven't yet earned it and it's a lot it's a lot to see yeah Another thing, in this first movie, the baby that plays Harry is really cute, um, but, like, in one of the later movies, they get, like, a really ugly baby. <laughs> I don't remember which one it is, but, like, we'll get there, but it's, like, a fucking ugly baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's really sad. Not all babies are cute. It's so true. Some of them just come out looking like grandpa's Benjamin Button status and they have to mature. They just got to ripen a little bit more, you know. (laughs) That's okay. So after their conversation, we just go to King's Cross Station. Um, yeah. What happened to the rest of some? Like, that's one of those things where we can't just say, oh, that's just the movie, because start of term is September 1st, and Harry's birthday is July 31st, and that is a month Yeah, that yeah. we lose. That, that's an oversight. And it turns out that what we actually saw was a montage that took place over several months <laughs> of Hagrid and Harry just exploring every nook and cranny of Diagon Alley with, like, exciting 80s music going on in the background. <laughs> that would have been delightful. If that was the case, they definitely should have gone to Madame Malkin's. Yeah, that's true. Get them some room. <laughs> yeah, just like really timing fail. So, so we lose things. We don't get the Dursleys or their malice and mild fear when Harry comes back. We don't get them him having to ask for a ride to King's Cross Station and in the books, they leave him there and they drive away laughing. That's like such like a gut wrenching moment because he then realizes he doesn't know how to get on the train platform. So yeah. we just we lose all of that, and instead, it's almost like a funny moment. It's like, oh, where's this platform? <laughs> can Can I just say, I don't know what went wrong in that guard's life, but he is far too offended by the question, "Where is platform nine and three quarters?" Nine and three quarters. You think you're funny, do you? It's like, Jesus, dude. Like, like good one. Calm down. <laughs> uh, he has to deal with idiots all day long. And Taurus. Taurus idiots all day long. Being like, am I in London? <laughs> He's like, God damn it. Um, but I'm with you. I probably would have been like, good joke, bud. <laughs> do you need help? Well, you seem to be really alone right now. <laughs> really by yourself with like- all the- yeah, really. You're 11 years old. It, uh, trains don't come in fractions. So we're going to find... And do you need an adult? You look like you need an adult. I'm no, going to call you know the what? cops. <laughs> I'm just going to say, run along and quit bothering me. That seems like the responsible thing for me, the adult, to do in this situation with you, the 11-year-old. 
That poor porter probably only gets paid minimum wage, which must be at least like $20 an hour in Europe. So one thing that I forgot to mention when you're talking about um, Harry and Hagrid and the lack of the rest of Harry's summer vacation. Um, So Harry questions the platform number and then kind of looks up and like, where's Hagrid? So are we supposed to think that like Hagrid apparated? I think that, that's totally what they were implying. And I also was like, that is not possible. He is not, he doesn't have a license for that. Yeah. Whoops. No way he could just disappear in that way. Yeah. He can't disappear like that. Even if he had a port key, like do it in the bathroom. Even though I've seen this movie dozens of times, there was still a part of me that was hoping that Harry would like look back and the camera angle would change and you'd see Hagrid clearly holding a sheet. Just like, I'm not here anymore. <laughs> like, just holding the sheet up and Harry look around like, huh? What magic is this? Huh? Did you guys see those? Um, I think maybe it was like last summer. Um, those videos went viral of people tricking their pets with the sheets, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just like pulling one of those on Harry. Hagrid does that. Just like clearly like, don't bump, don't bump, runs off. Hagrid? <laughs> Where have you gone, Hagrid? <laughs> uh, I will find platform nine and three quarters. Well, luckily, after that, Porter is a huge dick to Harry. The best family in the world comes along, the Weasleys. And Molly Weasley is being exactly as dumb in the film as she was in the book. Platform nine and three quarters this way. Muggles everywhere. I am a witch. <laughs> Packed with muggles. But you know there was some like really woke kid walking down the street or the platform that heard that and was like, I'm going to feel offended. I don't know why I'm offended, but muggles, that is clearly a derogatory term for someone. And I am, screw that lady. She's old and she's out of, and they're insulting Molly Weasley. They don't even know it. So it's Molly talking. And then like, I'm pretty sure the next thing that happens is the twins whole bit about you call us, you call yourself our mother. Which is, like, so good. I love it so much. Um, But then you lose, again, the shades of the Weasley twins because they don't have time to come into the compartment and help Harry with his suitcase and stuff. Yeah. But the Weasleys help him get onto the platform. I have a question, and this is, again, one of those things where in the book it was easy to ignore, but in the film it wasn't. Why do you think Ron has dirt on his face in this scene? Like, what is the importance of that? What is it saying about him? (laughs) Do 11-year-old boys typically not have dirt on their nose? I'm pretty sure they just always have dirt somewhere on their face. So why even mention it if they just automatically (laughs) all have dirt on their face? Is it just really uncomfortable pore coating? Because, like, I mean, that is, like, a really, like, old-school way. Like, the poor kid, you know, the one with dirt on his face. He's a chimney sweep. Uh, Yeah. Damn, that's a bummer if that's what that is. And then, like, later on with the shaggy clothes comment. (laughs) I just wrote this note. I just wrote, okay, CGI. And, like, I didn't write any reference. Like, I don't know necessarily what I was talking about. Um, I think it's the train. The windows, the train windows are not great. Um, You don't really notice them because you're supposed to be looking at the characters' faces, but, like, the windows are not great. There's just, like, most of the CGI in this movie, my problem was the lighting. The lighting is, like, not right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's the case with the windows too. Why are, whatever, okay, CGR, I think maybe I was talking about like the, the wall itself, like going through the platform, whatever. Because when you get onto the platform, we go with Harry through the wall, you get onto the platform, and then there's like the grand reveal with the theme music. It's so good. Like, it's like, like, I just love that they're like, okay, now we're hyped now, 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 now. And I'm like, yeah, I am, I am. (laughs) Like, I'm so hyped right now. Like, this is the coolest train I've ever seen. Lego. That's what I wrote down. One of the things Chris Columbus did really well with this movie is he did do that. He like, it constantly is checking in with the audience. Like, I know you got that reference, right? (laughs) And you remember this? Ah, yeah, you remember this. Man, Chris Columbus is just so good. It, really, because I mean, like, especially for kids that were like 11 to 13 at the time that this came out. I mean, that's who you are. Like, it's like, well, I know that. I know that. I've yeah. read that. Like, honestly, I'm pretty sure Chris Columbus is the first director's name I ever knew when these movies were just coming out. Um, that's when I was still like reading, like, like tiger beat and like j14 and like teen vogue magazine like i really was into that kind of thing because i was before social media really took off so that's how i learned stuff about entertainment and pop culture and i remember reading a lot about harry potter when it was first coming out and and i'm pretty sure chris columbus is the first director whose name i ever knew including spielberg which like i'm i'm a spielberg girl like i've seen those fucking like most of his fucking movies but like i'm pretty sure chris columbus is like the one who helped me to understand what a director can really do for a film there must have been a teen vogue thing about him at some point or another peach mango beer these beers are so good um so so we skip the whole conversation with the weasleys on the platform we skipped the twins meeting Harry. Um, just like, you know, just we lose a little bit of their character as a family there. And then we just, we take off. And this is definitely where you can also feel it. Kind of like the story starts to fast forward. Because like when it first started, it was introducing Dumbledore, McGonagall, all that. Then it kind of like fast forwarded a little bit as Harry was uh, going to the zoo. And then a little bit more with Hagrid and a little bit more with the uh, platform. And now that we're on the train, it's full on like, like it, it's both oh, the metaphor going. of the train. And yeah, it's like, we're going fast. We need to get to key points. Let's go. Let's go. We got plot ahead. So Ron comes into the cover up with Harry. They're best friends immediately. Harry doesn't even notice the dirt on Ron's face. And that is, if that's a metaphor for poverty, that's a metaphor for their whole friendship. Doesn't even notice the dirt on his face. And then, Okay, one of my favorite moments is when Ron is like, oh, are you like the real Harry Potter? Do you have the scar? And Harry, I'm sure for the first time ever, so eagerly shows off his scar. He's like, oh, yeah, that's me. Exactly the same way any other 11-year-old boy would be like, I fell off my bike and tore my arm up and look at the scar. Yeah. He's proud of it. <laughs> it was so cute, his little face when he showed. He lifts up his fringe to show his <laughs> new friend, his scar. It's just the cutest thing. And then Harry gets to be a baller for the first time in his life. He really has no idea how much money is in his hand. And, like, I was thinking, like, I'm not really familiar with, like, British money. I know about the euro. That's not British, though. But, like, in America, like, a handful of coins is, like, 
not that much. So I don't even know if anyone know, like that's it's a, it's a lot of money. That could be a, a great deal of money in his hand. Well, they do have like one and two dollar coins. So yeah, in theory, if you had like you know two dollar coins, you'd have like thirty or forty bucks in in your hand. Well, he balls the fuck out. I wrote one of my notes here is candy equals best friends forever. It sounds stupid, but that is exactly what happens here. Mm-hmm. And the whole rest of their lives, they're like, remember that one time on Hogwarts Express when you bought me all that candy? Yeah, now we're still <laughs> friends. You're fucking my sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, weird that. Weird how that happens. Um, another thing that we don't get in the films is the frog card. The whole Dumbledore frog card element of the mystery is just completely out the window, much like that frog. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Like the information on the card and stuff, we don't get him reading that. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't read it at all. It's just mm-hmm. like it's just like a world building thing instead of a plot thing. Yes. Which, like, I don't know. That wouldn't have been that crazy to take five seconds to like read the card in the film. Yeah, I wonder I why think, they do that. I, if I had to guess, my I think they probably did that because an adult would pay attention there and would like read that, and then later on when they hear Sorcerer's Stone would probably make that connection. And I think, I think they're figuring a, a lot of, I think they're probably figuring a lot of the parents had not read the books. And so if to make it as entertaining as possible for them, they didn't want to set them up for any like big giveaways, like, or like reveals. Well, that is a good point because when you're reading a book, you're getting constantly a ton of information you don't need just by the nature of reading but in a film if someone says something you basically are like that's gonna come up later so that's a really good point and then Hermione comes and she is insanely obnoxious somehow worse than in the books we t- we've talked previously about how these three kids are not necessarily the best actors in the world in this first film but I think Hermione being just normal bitchy everyday Hermione Emma Watson killed it just the way she delivers her lines, it's like, oh my god, like, go away, dude. <laughs> it, it almost sounds like it points that she, it, it's kind of cool, because you can almost see, like, her doing what she thinks, like, like an impression of what she would think a, a person would say. Like, it sounds like the way that she delivers the line sounds like her imitating the, uh, the speech pattern of, like, adults. I was going to say, like, almost as if she's been watching Professor McGonagall's TED Talks on YouTube or something. Right. Yeah, like, the, the, the way she enunciates certain things and, like, spaces the words, it sounds like, almost like an old school actress. The way that yeah. she would pronounce her words and say these things. Like, um, Some uh, boy tra- has lost transatlantic, right? Transatlantic yeah. is what they call it, yeah. Yeah. So, so then we get to Hogwarts and right away the music changes, right? And that's how, you know, we're like on to the next cool thing. The music changes. It's kind of silly, kind of mischievous. This like this Hogwarts music and they get in the boat and as the castle's revealed, you get the big theme music. Bum, 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 bum. I'm going to do it every time I read theme music. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. <laughs> And that's how you know we're, like, home now. Like, we're here. This is where the theme is. This is where we've been trying to get this whole time ever since that opening opening scene. So dramatic. And as they roll up, the music gets a little Christmassy with the fucking jingle bells. What? Like, obviously, this is a Christmas movie. I don't know why there's an argument about it. 
music is so Christmassy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely a Christmas movie, but it definitely, like, it, just the script alone, it's not a Christmas movie. This is Christmas totally just movie. a Christmas movie because of everything that goes on besides the script. Mm-hmm. The script happens to have a scene at Christmas, but, like, the movie feels Christmassy throughout. Yeah, it definitely has, like, a Victorian Christmas aesthetic in a lot of ways. Yeah. So they roll up in the boats, they park the boats, they get out of the boats, and then I love what the camera does when they introduce McGonagall. The the camera is, like, at her feet, down where, like, Harry is (laughs) just, like, looking up at her as she's being, like, so (laughs) severe. And then... Neville comes up to get his toad, and then the camera's looking at, like, a 90-degree angle, like, down (laughs) at him, just like, what are you doing? So good. One thing about the previous scene that I want to mention is just how much they nailed the castle. Mm. Like, Hogwarts Castle is perfect. I'm pretty sure I was, like, cheering, and Sean was yeah. like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, yes, we're here, yeah! yeah. And the music, <laughs> I was falling prey to the music, getting me so hyped. <laughs> the <laughs> castle is so beautiful, and by now, it's so iconic. I'm pretty sure that any of us could see just, like, the silhouette of the shape of the castle from the films and know exactly what it was. It's iconic. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, for example, reading something like Game of Thrones, you hear about castles, and, like, you take history classes, you read Game of Thrones, and you realize that, like, castles are are not what you think they are. It's not, like, fucking Cinderella's castle at Disneyland. It's, like, a wall and, like, a couple of stone rooms, usually. Like, it's more of, like, a fortress or, like, a keep, really. Yeah. Most yeah. castles. But, like, Hogwarts is a fucking castle. Yeah. Great detail, Grace. And by detail, I mean the entire setting for the rest of the film. Yeah. <laughs> McGonagall lays some crazy shade on Slytherin when she's telling them the house is here. I know, dude. It's oh, really yeah. Appall- it's appalling. You can be in Gryffindor or Hufflepuff or Ravenclaw or Slytherin. And, like, even just the fact that they always get listed last. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's so bogus. Like, how can you ever expect these children to succeed? Let's move on. The ghosts don't come, right? In the book, the ghosts come and distract them by being like, we're ghosts. Um, (laughs) Instead, the focus of the scene is that we meet Draco Malfoy for the first time. And it comes across as super random because they've never met before. It comes across as just straight up round nosing. Draco's like, oh, like, stick with me. I'll show you the way, Harry Potter. Whereas, like I said previously in the book, it kind of seems like Draco trying to make up for not recognizing him before yeah Yeah. just so weird and as as always ron is the one who starts the entire lifelong feud with draco malfoy by laughing at his name he starts it and then it's just over from there they hate each other that's it han and ron both shot first yeah (laughs) yeah exactly um Yeah, it just sucks. It reminds me of something from the book that we don't get in the movie, which is the midnight duel where Draco's like, Harry, do you want to duel? And Ron's like, yeah, Harry wants to duel. And it's like, (laughs) I don't know, just let Harry figure it out for himself. Yeah. Oh, he's going to be there. He's going to kick your butt. (laughs) Uh, So finally, we get to go into the Great Hall. Christmas music. With the jingle bells. Real Christmassy. 
honestly, so many good sets for this movie. We already talked about Diagon Alley. Um, and I think that there's a couple different places in the castle that have really good sets. And the Great Hall is just so incredible. The, the reveal, you know, is just... You feel, I mean, you feel like you're there as a student being like, oh, fuck, this is better than I ever could have dreamed. Mm-hmm. I read about it in Hogwarts, a history. Hogwarts, <laughs> a history. Insufferable. <laughs> so then it's time to get sorted and like, thank God they sort all the main characters first so we don't have to stick around and watch. Yeah. Isn't it weird that they like don't go by any sort of common organized organization for the names it seems like they just bounce around however they feel like almost like just picking favorites Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) she's cruising up and down the list uh you no you (laughs) she has to build she knows she has to build for the big reveal exactly so then it's harry's turn and there's a little bit of weirdness because the sorting hat is talking to him the same way it did in the books, but also his mouth is animated as moving. So it's unclear if he's just like wondering aloud to the whole room or if only Harry can hear him, but everybody else can see the mouth moving. Yeah, unclear. Like what if there's a lip reader in the room? Yeah, I, it is funny though because um, I was trying to imagine this Sorting Hat, like this voice singing the Sorting Hat song that we get in the in the book. I just can't imagine this Sorting Hat doing that. I would have loved to have seen that personally. Yeah. <laughs> Christina, now I can't help but imagine there being one deaf Slytherin that's just sitting there in the corner, like reading Harry's lips and just like signs back oh fuck you potter like (laughs) (laughs) oh this is bullshit (laughs) so then there's another music change on gryffindor and the crowd goes wild and then well and even dumbledore gives harry a little nod like you did the right thing we all know gryffindor is the best house (laughs) and then Everybody important has been sorted by now. And then we get another music change when the food appears, because obviously that is a source of great joy. And like, damn, I've always dreamed of like these Hogwarts feasts where everything just appears and it's like everything you could ever dream of. Yeah. Mm. Just like racks and racks of toast. That's the one thing I remember. I don't remember when it is, but it's like, is that a fucking rack of toast? (laughs) (laughs) So yummy. Um, also, the costuming in this scene, all, they're all wearing their tiny little black hats, which is a total Chris Columbus signature look, and it really fades away. Um, but, like, I love it so much. It's so cute. Mm-hmm. I would have hated wearing that hat. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, pointless. It's really just, like, wearing, like, a graduation cap. It's like, yeah, we're wizards. Looks well, like a tie. It's something that has no practical function, but people have worn for decades, if not hundreds of years, so they still wear. Oh, do we want to get into high heels, or should we just carry on? An equally valid point. I think, in fact, maybe more valid, because you can (laughs) run in a tie. (laughs) Moving on. So then finally we get the ghosts. Which is fun. I think the cha- the moving of the ghosts from before to now, that's fun. We all get to, like, interact with them. It gives Percy the opportunity to say, like, Nelly Headless Snake or whatever. Yeah. And then Hermione 
nearly headless. How can you be nearly headless? And then Nick shows her. And mm -hmm. if you ask me, that's very gruesome. And if it if he wasn't in black and white, I don't think they could have gotten away with it. Because that shit's it's nasty. Quite, it's quite aggressive. It's aggressive. Just yeah. like rips it off. It's also like a shock if you don't know what's coming. Just like rips his head off. <laughs> nearly headless. <laughs> She's so fucking insufferable. Um, so then after the feast, they go up to their common rooms. The staircases move, which in the books, they don't move. They change and sometimes trick you. Whereas, um, it's more, it's more, it's something that you get the idea that like, they only do it when no one's looking and like, you might be caught off guard. Whereas in the films, it's like, all right, the staircase, we're going, like, we're taking you like a fairy. Just like, you're going over here now. <laughs> You were going there? No, no, you're going over here now. No, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, seems cool and maybe even practical if they run on, like, a schedule or something, like a bus. But if they're just doing what they want to, that's rough. Chaos. Yeah. Chaos. Um, <laughs> so then the day kind of ends with a quiet moment with Harry in the window with Hedwig looking out at the grounds, which I think is so beautiful. A lot of times, movies don't don't pause to catch their breath but i think that having these moments those kind of quiet moments with harry is really important to kind of feel the way he does about like wow i can't believe i'm here right now basically yeah hey potheads i hope you've been enjoying our incredibly detailed inspection of the sorcerer's stone film I've really been enjoying it. Um, it was so awesome to have a reason to really sit down and focus on the film exclusively without like fucking around on my phone or playing Animal Crossings on my Switch, which is what I usually do while I'm watching movies. I haven't done that in years, so um, and it was really awesome to have this fresh perspective of the book going into it so I could really notice all the differences for better or for worse. Next week, we'll be here with Games and Riddles with a special guest. We're really excited for that episode. And then the week following that, um, we'll be finishing the rest of the conversation about the film. So be sure to come back for more. We've barely even started. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Cool. I had a good time. This is fun. I don't think I've ever watched the movie so closely as I did um, when trying to compare it to the book, which I just read, you know, so. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely cool. Yeah, when I, I think I mentioned this to you this morning, Christina, that I started taking notes and then I gave up because I was like, there are so many differences between the book and the movie. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it is crazy. All right. Well, All I'm right, gonna, yeah, have a good night. I'll talk to you guys yeah. soon. Okay. Okay. Awesome. All right. Bye. Have a good night. Bye. The restricted section was created and hosted by me, Christina Khan, based on the book series by JK Rowling. All music by Ryan Khan. Logo by Michael Hardison. Technical support from Sean Watson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at restrictedsectionpod or shoot us an email at restrictedsectionpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feelings, complaints, conspiracy theories, or lavish praise. Also, today we got very down to business. We were very serious about analyzing the film. It was a very Ravenclaw episode with Andrew and Grace. So please enjoy this throwback end of episode ridiculous excerpt from back in the good old days when the whole gang would all meet together in my dining room. Are you 
used to take first dates to the zoo. I used to take first dates to the zoo. Why didn't we go on our first date to the zoo? I don't know. Wait, didn't we go to the zoo? We did go to the zoo. I used to take. We totally did. Okay, well, you were one of many, (laughs) and you were as well. (laughs) (laughs) Why did it work out? It's so sad. I know. Oh my god.